Boom, do we got a show for you today. Hey everybody, it's me, it's your friend Chase, and I gotta welcome you to another episode of the show. Happy to be with you today. Remember, this show's on Creative Live. I am grateful to be coming at you, and a doozy is in store this week with my friend Mel Robbins. I don't, I mean, Mel's been, she's one of those people, she's been in the game for a while, but to me, she was like a tornado. Over the course of the last three years, she, I, I follow all her feeds. Um, she's got a background as, I think she's literally the most booked speaker in the world. Maybe there's a qualifier in there. The most booked female speaker, the most booked motivational. There's some, um, she's, she shared this with me much. I think she speaks like hundreds of times or more than a hundred times a year. And for good reason, because she's insanely inspirational, um, but not that kind of inspiration that's just like, oh my gosh, I'm in the frenzy. I'm in the stadium, my hands in the air. And then you go home and you're like, yeah, but what do I do? She's super, super actionable. Uh, and I like to point at, be with, share the content from Mel whenever I can. And today is uh, a lesson from Mel that I think is brilliant. And it's around self-confidence. What is it? How to uh, develop it? What are the myths around it? And importantly, very tactically, uh, in the last half of the show, we get into the five specific habits for building self-confidence. Now, it's fair to say that self-confidence is a critical part of um, success because you have to be, A, willing to have the confidence to put yourself out there in the form of um, your art, your product, your idea, your company. And I think there's it's a requirement that you have some sort of confidence in order to do that. And then also the part that we all are worried about sometimes, which is how do I promote this and not be jerky? Uh, about it. And so to be able to have a, a, some confidence around not just yourself, but the work that you put on the world, uh, invaluable. Um, I was the, the reason that I wanted to feature this in the podcast today. This is uh, a Mel came to Creative Live, did a class called The, the Five Habits of Building Self Confidence. Um, and it was so inspirational. This is one of the things that's flagged on my desktop and every once in a while, because I too, hopefully you're with me on this one, occasionally suffer from the, oh my God, what am I doing? Um, and Mel is a great resource. So this is something that I go back to on a regular basis. I wanted to share here with you. Uh, if you want more, of course, there the class is available on Creative Live. 76,600 people have taken, <laughs> taken this class with a 99 point something percent recommendation. So um, anyway, I, I thought that that sharing a couple of lessons from her, her course on self-confidence would be a game changer for you. I hope you'll enjoy the episode, get value out of it. And as always, please shout out Mel on social. She's at Mel Robbins. Um, and in, any feedback, screen cap where you're listening or, or that you're listening, uh, DM me, tweet me at me. I love to share it. Or if you're, you're, you're a photograph of your feet up on the beach, listen to the podcast. Um, again, just a reminder that we're all in this together. Uh, so I'm going to get the way. I'm going to let you listen to the show, this episode this week. Uh, and before we do just a super quick word from our sponsor, check this out, y'all. This episode of the Chase Jarvis Live Show is sponsored by Creative Live for Business. This is different than the regular old Creative Live. So whether you love, passionately love where you work, or it's sort of like meh, 
Or on the other side, if, if it's a creative wasteland and you want to inspire some change in the place that you work, you're not alone. Studies say that three out of four people, that's right, 75% of people say they're not living up to their creative potential at work. If so, I want to introduce you to Creative Live's newest product. It's called Creative Live for Business. And in a nutshell, it's a way to get access to all of Creative Live's content for your entire team and or entire company and maybe bring in some much needed energy and innovation to that team or company simply by going to creativelive.com slash teams. Now, Creative Live for Business is already in service of several of the top creative firms on the planet and a powerhouse list of many of the Fortune 100 top brands. These brands care about creativity and innovation. And you know what? These companies pay for this for their employees. So it doesn't matter if you're a team of five people, 55, or, or if there's 50,000 people in the company. If this sounds interesting to you and you want to check it out, either you can check it out or refer your boss to Creative Live by sending them to creativelive.com slash teams. Remember, the most forward-thinking companies, they prioritize things like creative skills, like design thinking, leadership, collaboration, wellness. And again, with Creative Live for Business, you get access to all that taught by some of the top instructors in the world on Creative Live. So again, you can visit or send your boss a link to creativelive.com slash teams to learn more. I'm here for one reason. I am here to help you. I am here to help you remove the things that are in your way, that are frustrating you, that are causing you heartache, that are causing you headache, that are robbing you of opportunity and joy. We're also gonna talk about how you build real confidence, not the fake shit that you see, you know, not the bossy stuff. That's the, that's the fake confidence. I spent a large part of my life with fake confidence. Real confidence is a totally different animal. Real confidence is the ability, and then we're gonna define it, we're gonna break it apart for you. It's the ability to really understand who you are, to have the ability to tap into the power that's inside of you. And so I'm super, super excited to share all of this with you, and I want you to get what you came for. And it's so important that you understand, you know, you can listen to all the experts and the inspiring people that you want, but at the end of the day, it's gonna be up to you to do the work. So when I say I want you to get what you came for by watching this live stream, by being here in the audience, by doing the work in this course, I really mean it. Because this is your life, it's your business, so you get to decide. And that's how it should be, because um, you gotta do the work. The other thing to consider is that, in a really weird way, I don't actually consider myself an expert. I consider myself as somebody who's made a hell of a lot of mistakes. And boy, did I cause myself a lot of heartaches and headaches through the years. And I feel as though if I can share some of the things that I've learned along the way that are working for me, it'll help you think about what you could be doing to help you do things better. Doesn't mean it's right or wrong, it's a different way to look at things, okay? Let's talk a little bit about confidence. What are the myths, what are the truths? about confidence, okay? So there are three myths about confidence. Three, first of all, the first mistake that we make about confidence, we think it's a personality trait. It's not a personality trait. So personality traits, being introverted, being extroverted, um, 
interesting, there's new research out that shows that most people's personality actually changes over the course of their lifetime. You know, you might start out introverted, then you kind of span more towards being extroverted later in life, vice versa. The other thing about personality is that it is, let me see how I want to say this. There's a really interesting TED talk by this super cool professor from the University of Cambridge that talks about how your personality is not, is not actually fixed either. So for example, he was an introvert, this guy that gave the TED talk, this professor. But when there's something that you really believe in that matters to you, you can act out of character in order to further it. So he's an introvert. It just drags all the energy out of him to get in front of a class and profess. But because it's something that matters to him, he can push through being introverted, act out of character for 45 minutes and profess. And then, of course, he's completely gassed for the next three hours um, because introversion, extroversion has more to do with what drains you and what energizes you. I'm married to a super introvert, and he gets drained by, by being around a ton of people. I'm an extrovert. I get energized by being around a ton of people, and if I'm alone, I'm drained. So, you know, it's, it's confidence isn't something that is attached to your personality. And a lot of us make the mistake of thinking, oh, that extroverted person has a lot more, more uh, per, you know, confidence than I do. No, 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 no. They're just louder, Okay. I was super extroverted and bossy for a very long time, did not believe in myself at all. The bossiness was coming from the insecurity. And there's a lot of folks that are very introverted and don't like to be the center of attention because it's uncomfortable or because it drains them, but they really, truly believe deeply in what they're thinking and what they do. So it's not part of your personality trait. Now, the second thing, it's not fixed. So just because you have some confidence now does not mean you're going to have it later. It's, it's, it's not fixed at all. And uh, the other thing that's interesting is it's not everywhere all the time. So you might be super confident when you um, walk into the kitchen. Like I'm super confident. I can walk into a refrigerator and just kind of, because my mom grew up on a farm and come from a long line of farmers, and I can open up a fridge and make you anything without a recipe because that's how I was raised. Very confident in my skills in that world. There are other things that I'm not confident at all about. So it's not like if you're a confident person somewhere, you're going to be confident everywhere. Let me show you the truth about confidence in general. Confidence is a skill. It's not a trait. It is a skill. The other thing is, is that it is active, meaning if you stop working on it, you're not going to have it. And the other thing about it that's kind of cool is it's situational. So again, this goes back to the thing that there can be things in your life that you're super confident about and things in your life that you're just not confident about. And, you know, you see all the time people that have bad things happen to them and they get knocked off their game. You see people that, you know, whatever, they, they lose a race they're running or an election or they lose a piece of business and they used to be confident, but now their world is rocked. So how do you build it? So there's been a tremendous amount of research about confidence and how you build it. I, I know we all want more of it, but how do you build it? So all of the research points to this, something called the confidence competency loop. And I'm going to show it to you in just a second. The confidence competency loop. Anybody want to take a guess at what that means? Don't worry, there's no stupid answers. Go for it. Uh, preparation, 
Yeah, preparation. Good. Anybody else? Shout it out. Practice. Practice. What else? Yes. Consistency. Consistency. Anyone else? Failure. Excellence. She said failure. See, because what happens in life is that when you try something new, imposter syndrome, right? Let's build on the imposter syndrome. You try something new, and all of you, you start, you're going to, this is a new chapter. When I see that kind of witchery voodoo stuff happen and I walk into a hotel and I get a sign like that, it's like for all of us. Um, <laughs> when you try something new, because I want you to step into that imposter syndrome. I want you to embrace it. It's a good thing. When you try something new, you're going to be terrified. You're going to be nervous. That's normal. You're either going to succeed or you'll survive. Because even if you fail, you're all still sitting here, so you're not dead. So whatever it is that you've gone through, you've survived it. And just like I told you that, you know, look, I had a talk show deal seven years ago that, that basically went, what's that sound effect? I can't do it. I'm going to learn how to roll my R's today. Um, I learned something from that. And we cognitively know this. And see, this is the challenge with these kind of topics. They're heady. We know these things, but how do you get this in your bones? You've had a million people, oh, try until you fail. Oh, failure is a good thing. You know, like, you know, we all say it. It's all over my Instagram feed. It's like, you got to see it, but how do you get it in your bones? Well, you understand that when you succeed or survive, you learn something, right? And then when you learn something, you're building a skill. This is just like, remember how in the very beginning of the course, I said, I'm going to teach you how to run you as the equipment. When you first picked up a camera, it was overwhelming. You probably shot some really horrible photos. When you first used Photoshop, when you first did any kind of editing, when you shot your first video, terrible. When I look at the stuff that I did just, you know, last year, horrible compared to what we're doing now. Mortifying that 10 million people have seen that TED Talk. Uh, Seriously. Because it's not what I would consider to be my good work. Not anymore. Because I've built so much more competency, right? So when you build skills, you gain competency, And what's interesting is the more that you master something, whether it's cold calling or it's a selling process or it's negotiating and walking away from deals where they won't pay you $4,000, the more that you gain competency, the lower your anxiety drops, the more your nerves drop, the more your doubt drops because you're learning it. And so what ends up happening when you have competency is now you've got confidence. Pretty cool, right? So we talk about this stuff, but understanding that this is the only way to build it. You can't think your way to it. And I know a lot of us in the personal development space talk a lot about mindset, and we're going to get into that. But it doesn't start with mindset. And this is what I want to pound into your brains. Yes, thinking positive helps a lot. But confidence and self-doubt, they really, breaking the cycle starts with action. That's what it starts with. You cannot positively think your way through the kind of emotional angst that Hector's putting himself through. Not going to work. But if he sees himself acting differently, he's going to change. That's why this is my definition for confidence. It's the decision to try. You just saw in that model, when you try, you succeed or survive. You then learn something. As you learn something, you build skills. As you build skills, you gain competency. And that's what gives you confidence. It all begins with the willingness to try. That's where it begins. And so if I can teach you to do anything, 
It's to understand that. It's to understand that in those moments, in those moments where the emotions rise up, the feelings rise up, you feel yourself shrinking, that you know you have a choice and confidence comes to those people that decide to try in that moment because you always have a choice about what you're going to do. These are five super simple things that you can do. These are rules that I live by that as a business person, these give me so much control, it's crazy. And I am really adamant about the importance of this. So I have these five rules, these five habits. No phone in your bedroom, period. Now, why would I say that? I say that because um, I want you to engage in behavior that puts you in control of your thoughts and that allows you and sets you up to be the kind of person where the actions that you're taking reinforce the fact that you're in control of your life. When your phone is next to your bed, which most of us have it there, what I know is that before you get out of bed, you're gonna do this in the morning. (laughs) And your dreams are not on your phone. Your priorities are not on your phone. It's other people's garbage. I read a study that just came out that they quoted, I think it was in Time. Was it in Time Magazine, Mandy? Um, A couple years ago, there was a big study that said that we all spent like one point, I don't know, six hours a day processing email. They just released a new study, and I think it was Time Magazine two days ago that reported it, that said we spend 6.3 hours of our working day on email. And I could spend an entire course talking about the attention economy and how um, everybody's vying for your attention, and everybody has your attention because of this. And one of the most important things that you could do is before you go to bed, one five-second decision that changes everything is put the phone in the bathroom, put it in your closet, plug it in, set the alarm, turn off the alerts, leave the ringer on, tell your friends and family if they need you, call me, don't text. And then go to bed because there was a study that just came out with Deloitte, this is sick. This is not a survey, this is actual phone data. 33% of people check email in the middle of the night. Sickening. It's sickening. This has become a habit. I think that in 10 years, we're going to look back on smartphones and technology and have the same reaction that we did with cigarettes. Like, what were we thinking marketing this thing? What? Um, if you're the kind of person that has a lot of worries or anxiety, you, tend, you, you will want your phone near you. Um, the, the other research about this is pretty profound. Um, they did a study, actual data on the phone, Um, The average person, you know how you have to turn your phone on, like reawaken it? Average person does that more than 150 times a day. They did another study where they looked at how many times you actually just touch your phone. You pick it up, you swipe it, you tap it, you scroll, you do one of these things. The average person in the study, 2,617 times a day. The high, high, uh, you know, kind of touch users were 5,400 times, like 5,427 We are not even aware of it. It's because all that behavior is encoded right here. And so I wanna make it hard for you to have the alarm go off and do one of these in bed. Because if you start your day reading other people's emails, you've already lost control. And one of the most important things that you can protect right now is your mind space. So habit number one, Phone goes in the bathroom, in the kitchen, in the closet, plug it in, turn off the ding, turn on the ringer so that somebody can reach you in the case of an emergency. And that's it. The other thing that's going to happen is then when the alarm goes off, 
Um, this is rule number two. No snooze. It's now in the closet and you're screwed. You got to get out of bed. Now, why do I not want you to hit the snooze alarm? The reason why is actually grounded in science. So one of the things that I discovered that I didn't know when I did all the research for the five-second rule book is um, that the snooze button, when you hit it and you develop a habit of doing it, or even just you hit it once, you are engaging in a behavior that impacts your productivity for up to four hours. So let me explain this to you because the science is pretty awesome. There's a, there's a term, if you want to kind of look into this more, called sleep inertia. You know those mornings when you alarm goes off, when you do this, the alarm goes off, you hit the snooze, and then you get up and you feel tired. You just feel groggy. And you say to yourself, oh, I didn't get enough sleep last night. It's actually not true. What happened is by hitting the snooze alarm, you put yourself in a state of sleep inertia. What is that? Allow me to explain. So when you and I fall asleep, um, we sleep in cycles. And we sleep in cycles that last 75 to 90 minutes. And then we do another one, 75 to 90 minutes. And then we do another one, 75 to 90 minutes. And then about two hours before you are about to wake up, uh, your body goes into a state where it's thawing out like a frozen chicken. You know what I mean? It's like kind of coming to life slowly. It's no longer in a sleep cycle. When that alarm goes off, it's typically in the thaw-out stage. But what happens is if the alarm goes off while you're in the thaw-out stage and then you hit the snooze button, what do you suppose you just restarted? A sleep cycle. How long does a sleep cycle take? Yeah. So then when you get up 15 minutes later your brain is still in a sleep cycle. And in research, it takes the cortic region of your brain up to four hours to actually shake itself out of it. So you have put yourself in a state by hitting the snooze alarm that impacts speed of processing, ability to focus, all of it. And it lasts about four hours. It's not that you didn't get enough sleep. You'd be much better off if you could only sleep five hours, not hitting the snooze button, but jumping in a cold shower you'll literally will be alert, you won't have interrupted the sleep cycle, and you are now in a position neurologically to get up and to do what you need to do. Really, really compelling stuff, and it's life-changing when you uh, adopt this. So instead of hitting the snooze, you're always just gonna go five, four, three, two, one. It is painful. I have used this stupid rule for nine years to get out of bed. I still have to use it because I hate getting out of bed. Now that I'm almost 50, at 2.13, when I have to pee, I now use it to force myself to get out of bed in the middle of the night, you know, because normally you lay there and like, okay, go back to sleep, go back to sleep, you don't have to pee, you don't have to pee. That doesn't work. Five, four, three, two, one. The third rule. Um, so then I get my stuff and I go into the kitchen and I've got my little journal and I do what I call 30 before 7.30. Now, what do you not see in this photo? Oh. Exactly. Exactly. Because there's nothing on my phone that relates to my goals. Nothing. In fact, I would argue that what's on my phone creates anxiety. It disrupts my priorities. It, it really screws with everything. So I sit down, and why is it called 30 before 7.30? Because when I um, first started finding 30 minutes right after I woke up, for me, 
the last one of our kids left at seven o'clock in the morning. So nine times out of 10, right when they got on the bus was when I could find those 30 minutes. And so, look, some mornings you won't have 30 minutes. Some mornings you got five minutes. Uh, do you have to do it in the kitchen? No, you can do it in the seat of your car. You can go to a cafe. The most important thing, do not look at your phone yet. So I have developed this habit that has fundamentally changed my business. So before I look at the phone, before I get other people's to-do list, before I get distracted by the rest of the world, I get out of bed, I don't look at my phone, I sit down and I find about 30 minutes, and then there's a particular way in which I plan. And I'm gonna show you that in just a second. Um, this is a game changer, because for those of you that cannot find time, this gives you the time you can't find. And this is the other reason why it's a game changer. So because you got up and you didn't hit the snooze button, you're not struggling with sleep inertia, so you're alert. The second thing is, is that Dan Arley, the, the professor and best-selling author, has figured out that the best two hours of the, the day for your brain are the first two hours. So the first two hours of the day, best two hours for your brain. So if you can dedicate some of that time to the stuff that matters to you, you win. So then I fill out this form, and you know, you'll see, I've got my little gauge, depleted, meh. Um, but I wanna show you a particular aspect of this. I wanna show you this. So rule number four, when you sit down to do your 30 before 7.30, or whenever you end up doing, it might be five minutes before 6 a.m., whatever. I want you to focus on one small move. We've talked about this so much today. One small move. That's it. And I want you to plan it in a particular way, okay? First, you're going to identify the project you're working on. Today, my project for me, it could be that you're gonna go to therapy. It could be that you're gonna exercise today. It could be that you're going to, um, uh, you know, uh, write out a, a module for your, uh, your improv uh, sales business. It could be that you're gonna, like, it, just what is your project? What is the project that matters most to you? It could be anything today. One thing for you. Second thing you're gonna do, you're actually gonna write down, why does it matter to you? Remind yourself, in this particular example, publishing my first novel inspired by my grandmother's remarkable life that I've been wanting to write for years. Why does this matter? I'll feel so proud of myself for actually doing it. You don't have to have three, just write one. I hate my job, and I've always dreamt of being a writer. Working on it will help me stop thinking and get started. When you identify why something matters to you, you elevate it as a priority in your mind. You actually activate this part of your brain where when you set a to-do list and you prioritize it, your mind is designed to hold it as an open task. And then it reminds you of it. What's it called, Mandy? The, Zy the Zygonart effect is what you're leveraging here. We're also leveraging in this, the third thing, one small action I can move forward. Today my project that I'm working on is, this project matters to me because one small action I can take to move forward is. I cannot stress enough, next to not sleeping with the phone, this little planning strategy, which is backed by research, will change everything. Because the Zygonark effect is something that you are, are leveraging in terms of your brain anchoring on this. And you're leveraging research from the Harvard Business School on what's called the progress principle. When they crunch the data on what makes somebody feel like they've had a good day, what makes somebody feel like 
work is going well? What makes somebody feel proud of themselves? It's all the same, all the same. Did you make progress on something that matters to you? If you didn't, your day feels like a waste of time. So we are leveraging the progress principle and the way that your brain works to help you focus on one small action. So once you get here, either do it now or find the time when you're gonna do it. Now, here's the benefits of this. We activated the progress principle and when you figure out what matters to you and you focus on one small action, just forward, I don't care how little it is, forward is forward, folks. It increases people's rates of completion on the overall project to 76%. It sounds so stupid that these little things work, but they, they, they unlock aspects of the way that your brain naturally works to your advantage. Um, it also plays in with our research today, right? So when you pick one small move forward, it makes it easier to try, doesn't it? And when you try, you reduce self-doubt because you see yourself taking action. You know from the confidence competency loop that that actually builds confidence. And then of course, because you have progress based on all this research that's coming out of the Harvard Business School on something that matters, it actually creates this momentum effect. So this teeny little tweak, one selfish project for you, remind yourself why this is important, and one teeny, teeny little move you're gonna make forward, and you win every time. Now, let me show you this crazy trick that will also change things. Plan when you quit working. Every day, plan when you quit working. Parkinson's law. The amount of time you give something is how much time it will take it, right? You've had projects that you've given three weeks. How long did it take you to get it done? Three weeks. You've had projects that you had seven minutes to finish. How long did it take to finish it? Seven minutes. So this is a weird little thing, but um, I plan my quitting time every day. And it does this weird thing. It creates a sense of urgency about what I need to get done. And it makes me super mindful about stopping work so that I can be with my family, so that my brain can take a break. And for we creative types, let me remind you that 96% of creative breakthroughs don't happen while you're working. So super, super important. So the five habits, no phone in the bedroom, no snooze, 30 before 7.30, or make whatever you know, thing it is that you wanna do. One project that matters, that's it. One project that matters in one small way and set a quitting time. And you know, there's a lot here to absorb, but this is all relatively simple. If you have a problem that can be solved with action, you don't have a problem. And even if the problems that you feel that you face are mental, you can solve them with action. And you also now know how. See it, spot it. Five, four, three, two, one, and move. That is what's gonna work every single time. And if you can start to absorb this idea that confidence in every aspect of your life is just the decision to try. That's it. It begins right there. Look, I don't expect you to be perfect. I expect you to fail. But I do expect you all to try. Thank you for being here.
All right, that about wraps it up. But uh, hey, before you bounce, two quick things. Um, actually, I'm going to go three quick things. Thing one, A, thank you so much for being a part of this community. And I'm not quite sure how you, you landed on this podcast. It doesn't matter to me. The fact that we're all in this together and that we're able to have a conversation is awesome. I feel uh, honored to be in your ears right now and that uh, you've paid attention to what I've been doing, what Creative Live has been doing for some time. And whether it's been a day or 10 years, I just want to say thank you. It's also really important to know on the backside of that that I, I do a lot of responding to comments. So hit me up, on, you know, direct message me on, on Instagram or Twitter or at me. I try and respond as much as possible. So let's have a conversation that transcends me just being in your ears here. Let's try and do it some, somewhere out there in, on the internet land. That's thing one. Thing two, again, I'm not quite sure what channels you pay attention to me and my work, but please go check out. I'm at Chase Jarvis or slash Chase Jarvis or whatever on all the platforms. And it's really important to me. Also, if you wouldn't mind checking out Creative Live, it's something that not only myself, but 120 other committed hardcore badass people come to work every day uh, to build the place where creators and entrepreneurs learn so check that out they're just slash creative live or at creative live all over out there on the internet all right until again uh, probably tomorrow i hope i'll hear you i'll be in your ears maybe tomorrow and i'll look for your comments on the internets bye <laughs>